Hey, I'm not going to ask y'all to stand, but um, this is something that I do from time to time. Uh, I've done it publicly a few times, but uh, I've been doing this more and more frequently just personally. But I just want to pray a prayer of thanksgiving before we start. And I'm just going to ask that uh, you guys pray with me. Um, and uh, we'll, we'll pray this prayer kind of in spirit together. And then we'll see what God has for us today. Lord, I just want to thank you today um, for all of the things that I so often don't thank you for. I had breath in my lungs this morning. I was able to get out of the bed under my own power. I have two working eyes and two working ears. Lord, my heart, my lungs, my stomach, all that works the way it's supposed to. I'm not hurting in my back or, or anywhere in my body. Lord, I slept in an air-conditioned home last night on an extremely comfortable bed that had air conditioning. I'll have more food to eat today than I really need, and I'll have access to all of the clean water that I want. I've got more clothes hanging in my closet than some people own in their lifetime. I've got two reliable vehicles, just material things, God, that you have blessed me with. And I want to say thank you. Lord, I thank you that I am not alone in this world. You've blessed me with a, a wonderful wife who's loyal, who loves you, who loves me and loves our kids. I've got three healthy children today. And even though sometimes I'm a little suspicious, I know that they have their right minds about them. And I thank you for that. Lord, I have this church with a pastor who loves me and an incredible pastor's wife. I'm surrounded by friends today that love me and accept me for who I am and who are willing to help me be better. And that is an incredible blessing. Lord, you filled me with your spirit. You've washed me in your blood. You've cleansed me by being baptized in your name. And that's something that I just have to say thank you for. Lord, I am overcome with gratitude today for the things that you have poured out in my life. Forgive me for the times where I focus my eyes on the things I don't have instead of looking at all of the things I do have because you are good to me. And I just thank you. I just say thank you. In Jesus' name. Kind of puts it all in perspective, doesn't it? I feel better. Thank you for, uh, for indulging me in that. If I would encourage you to engage in that practice yourself from time to time. Just thank Him and, and watch what it does to your perspective on things. So it, it's been four weeks since I've really talked to you folks, and um, Sister Murphy told us her story with such grace and class several weeks ago, and it was awesome to hear her talk about her journey and to walk that journey with her. And then Aaron Duran took us down the road to Otham, and uh, with John Acuff's start, my copy of John Acuff's book, Start, came in on Tuesday of this past week, and I'm, I'm furiously highlighting and taking notes, and 
Aaron, I just want to say that that book was exactly what I needed for right now. And um, I want to thank you for being sensitive and just doing such an excellent job with your presentation of that material because I really needed it. So going back a ways, uh, the last two times that I spoke to you guys, we talked about responding to God's call and then responding to God's time for you. And I'm not going to ask anybody who remembers that to raise your hand because that always leaves me discouraged. So we're just going to keep right on rolling. Trust me, that's what I talked about. We talked about responding to God's call and then responding to God's time for you. And I just want to keep digging in that same vein uh, this week and next week. And today I want to talk to you about responding to the season, responding to the season. And next week, Lord willing, I want to talk to you about responding to transition. You know, so many times the difference is made in our lives, not in what we control, but in how we respond to what we don't control. You just you, you can't control some things. You can't control what people think. You can't control what people say. And if you think about it, you, you really can't control God's calling. You can control how you respond to it. You can't control what people say, but you can control how you respond to it. You can't control God's timing for you, but you can control how you respond to it. And you can't control the seasons. If anybody in here can control the seasons, please let me know, because I'd really like for you to do something about the thermostat outside, because this is the season of... Uh, of constant back sweat and perpetually wet undergarments for me. So I would love for you to do something about the temperature outside if you can control the seasons. But you know, you can't control the seasons of life either. But you can control how you respond to those seasons. And I want to talk to you about that today. So what I want to do is I want to start with a scripture in Psalms about what it means to be in season. And then I want us to take a look at the prodigal son and see what happens when we're out of season. Then I want us to take a look at a, a time in the life of King David whenever he shows us what it's like and what it looks like to respond to the season in a way that pleases God. And then finally, I want to give you some next steps that will hopefully help you respond to the season that you're in right now. So that's where we're headed today. Psalms chapter 1 verses 1 through 3, and this is in the NIV, it says, Blessed is the one who does not walk in the step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither and whatever they do prospers. The picture that we get here in Psalms of a healthy tree is one that bears fruit in its season. I always think it's weird uh, whenever trees bud and bloom out of season. And, and I shouldn't because it's something that kind of happens around here pretty often. We have, Julia, help me. I think that thing's called the Japanese boxwood. That thing, Japanese, Japanese magnolia. Okay, there you go. See, I don't even know what they're called. We have a very interesting relationship with plants around our house. 
we plant them and then we let them die. And so we just don't care about them a whole lot. So I don't even know their names. But uh, we've got this thing in our front yard, and it seems like the Japanese magnolia is always very eager to bloom if the weather changes even the slightest from kind of cold to not so cold. And, and it often happens we'll get this unusually warm weather for a stretch in late fall or early winter, and, and that one particular tree in our front yard just starts to put out flowers and leaves like it's springtime. And, and we know it's not right. I know it's not right. The climate's not right. And every time I see it, I think, you poor little dumb tree. Because you, you think it's the right season, and, and, and you might be budding, but give it a few days because this South Louisiana weather is, is going to mess you up. And all that work that you're doing, putting out new leaves and putting out new flowers, is going to be for nothing because it's the wrong season. And sometimes, folks, the same thing happens to us. And it's not that you don't have potential, and, and it's not that you don't have ability, and it's not that what you do isn't beautiful or useful or without purpose. It's just that you're out of season. So you struggle. Because to everything in life, there is a season. Right? Ecclesiastes 3 and 1, not uh, excited 3 and 1 is what got autocorrected whenever I sent it to Nathan. He's like, I don't know what this book of the Bible is. Ecclesiastes 3 and 1 in the New Living Translation says this For everything, there is a season, a time for every activity under heaven. Being out of season, guys, it's always, always trouble for us. It leads to frustration, it leads to confusion, it leads to self-doubt, it leads to strained relationships, it leads to burnout and people give up and lose hope and they want to quit. Why? Because they're trying to move forward and, and be productive? Because they were pursuing a dream, Aaron? Because they were trying to, to, to get to awesome and leave average behind? No, it's just because they were out of season. More specifically, they're trying to do the right thing, but in the wrong season. And so to keep my little plant analogy rolling here, you know, you can plant in the fall. You can plant in the spring. But you've got to plant the right thing. Now watch this. You can have the right soil. You can have good seed. You can dig right, Brian, you can plant right, you can fertilize right, you can water right. But if you do all of that work in a season that isn't right for the seed, you're not going to produce much. You're going to do a lot of work, but you're just not going to produce a whole lot. And that will get us discouraged. Recognizing, discerning, if we can get super spiritual, Discerning, recognizing the season is so important and it will save us a lot of stress, a lot of frustration. So let me talk to you about the prodigal son, because that was his whole problem in Luke 15. He, he was out of season. He went to his father and he said, give me my birthright. Give me my inheritance. Give me what belongs to me. Give me what's mine. I'm going to sneak up on you here in a minute. I'm, give me what's mine because of who I am. I'm your son. It's part of my identity. 
And because of who I am, I lay, clay to some, I, I lay claim to some things. See, the problem wasn't that the son wanted his birthright. The birthright was his. It was his inheritance. The problem was when he wanted it. He wanted his inheritance while the father was still still alive. And that's just not the way that Old Testament inheritance called a birthright worked. When the father died in the right season, then the son would receive what was his. Impatience with his season almost killed that kid. His impatience led to demanding what was his out of season, demanding the right thing. But in the wrong season and as an end result, it, it really it put some unnecessary scars on him. That he wouldn't have had if he would have just waited for the right season. Look at how different the son's language is when his focus is no longer on his impatience. In Luke 15 and 11, it says Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Give me my estate. At the beginning, he told his father, give me what's mine now. I, I want what what is mine right now. It's my money and I want it now. Apparently, there was no J.G. Whitworth call one eight hundred cash now. What is it? One eight seven seven cash now. Is that it? There wasn't one of those back then. He had a structured settlement and he needed cash now. There were so many implications in his demand. I, I know the season better than you do, Dad. Now, I don't want to wait on, on the natural process of things. You know, waiting and patience, that's so lame. That's so 2015. Even if it breaks relationship, I can't stand this waiting anymore. Give me what's mine right now. And of course, we all know that he, he paid a price for his impatience with the season. Because the story goes that he went off to a foreign place and he spent all of his money unwisely. And, and then a famine hits that land and, and he finds himself alone and, and he's starving and he's, he's just desperate. And then he starts thinking about how right things are in his father's house. Things are so right in his father's house that even the hired servants have enough to eat. His father's house is, is organized and it's, it's planned and it's carefully managed so that even those that have the least amount of honor, the servants, still have more than what they need. And what happens is his language changes. Look at it in Luke chapter 15, verses 17 through 19. It says this. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And, and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me. Like one of your hired servants. No longer is it give me. Now it's it's make me, Dale. 
give me comes from a, a heart of pride and, and selfishness and entitlement and impatience. Make me comes from a heart of humility and obedience and submission. Kind of sounds like Jesus, doesn't it? Give me says, I don't want the process. Give me says, I, I just want the birthright. I'm frustrated and impatient with the process, so let's just skip all of that and let's just get right to the blessing part. Let's just get right to the promotion part. But make me says, as long as I'm with you, the process doesn't matter. It, it can just be what it's going to be. Make me anything you want to make me. Just keep me in your house and keep me close to you. Don't let me wander off in impatience. Help me to respond in the right way to the season that I'm in right now. To just keep me close to you. Keep me in alliance with you. Keep me in communion with you. Keep me in fellowship with you. God, if I can stay close to you, then responding to the process of the season will just flow naturally out of the relationship we have. I read that uh, to you this, this morning and I was worried I was going to get all emotional and choked up because as, as I was writing this morning on this lesson, I got to this part about the difference of the heart between giving and making. It just, guys, it crushed me. Just sat there in that green recliner in our living room just bawling my eyes out because I was like, God, this is me. This is me. This is me. Don't give me, make me. Then I, I won't be so concerned about the process as long as I'm in relationship. Make me. And this morning, I, I did it again. I gave God permission. God, you just make me whatever you want to make me as long as I'm close to you. As long as we're in relationship and communion. Second, y'all remember those words, relationship, communion, fellowship. Remember those words. Second Corinthians, I'm going to read this to you in, in two different versions because I really want you to see this. Second Corinthians chapter four, verses 15 through 18. Says for all things are for your sakes. If somebody does something for your sake, what does that mean? You're good. It's to help you, right? So th this is for my sake. This is for my good. All of these things are for my sake, for my good, that the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many redound to the glory of God, for which cause we faint not. But though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. Watch this verse 17 for our light affliction, which is but for a moment worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Now watch this in the message. And I just love this translation. It says, every detail works to your advantage and to God's glory. More and more grace, more and more people, more and more praise. So we're not giving up. How could we? Even though on the outside it often looks like things are falling apart on us on the inside where God is making new life. Not a day goes by without his unfolding grace. I love this part. 
These hard times are small potatoes compared to the coming good times. The lavish celebration prepared for us. There's far more here than meets the eye. The things we see now are here today, gone tomorrow, but the things we can't see now will last forever. You know, just like David, he had to endure some afflictions for the moment. Some small potatoes, if you will. In exchange for an exceeding weight of glory later on in life. His his small potato hard times compared to the celebration that was coming later when the season was right. Let me show you what I'm talking about. In 2 Samuel chapter 5, it tells us that David was 30 years old whenever he finally became king. But for the first seven years of his reign, he didn't, uh, he didn't rule over all 12 tribes of Israel from the capital city of Jerusalem. No, he, he reigned over, for the first seven years, he ruled over one tribe, the tribe of Judah, from a city called Hebron. Now, that name Hebron is pretty interesting. Depending on where you look and what source you look at it, it means friend, fellowship, alliance, communion. So David spent this seven-year season in which he had a partial promise, one tribe out of twelve, in a place of fellowship, alliance, and communion. Watch this. There, there were three anointings in David's life, and each one of them was a confirmation of God's plan for David. The first anointing is whenever David is anointed by Samuel to be king over Israel. And... Uh, It's interesting to me that he was anointed to be king over Israel, not part of the nation, not one tribe, but all 12. He was anointed to be king over the entire nation. And that happened whenever David was very young. And if you remember the story, nobody even thought that David was qualified uh, even to be considered for this anointing. Because the prophet Samuel, right, he shows up at Jesse's house and he tells him, you know, bring all your sons before me because God is, is, is looking for a new king and. God had told him to go there and anoint this new king. And all of Jesse's sons, they they show up and they pass before Samuel. And one by one, they're all rejected by God. God keeps telling, nope, it's not this one. Nope, it's not this one. Yeah, that one looks good on the outside, but it's not that one either. And Samuel's like, "Is, is this it? Because I know God told me to come here with this anointing oil. And it's not any of these guys. So do you have any sons that you forgot about? And they're like, well, yeah, I mean, there's there's David. But, I mean, he's just a kid, and he's out watching sheep. I mean, we didn't even think we needed to invite him to the party. That'll do wonders for your self-confidence. I mean, he's not even king material. We wouldn't even invite him to something like this. But sure enough, it it was David, and, and Samuel poured that anointing oil over David's head many, many, many years before David ever became a king. And that's something that causes us problems sometimes. Because God anoints us in one season for the promise of another season. He anoints us to be something in one season that we are to become in another season. And and that's so important for us to understand because God sees our potential and He knows our end from our beginning. And so He'll anoint us, guys, to be something that we aren't yet. That's why the process 
of every season is important. Just like John Acuff said, you can't shortcut those stages. Well, you can't shortcut you can't shortcut the seasons either because it's the process of the season that makes God. God's plan wasn't to just give David the kingship. His plan was to make a king. Not just to uh, to anoint and appoint like he had done with Saul. This time I'm going to anoint and I'm going to make a king. And David would have to walk through this process of seasons that would make him compatible with his anointing. And that's what's going on with you. You're walking through processes that are making you compatible with your anointing. So that was the that was the first anointing. And, and it was both God's promise to David and God's calling of David. David, I've chosen you, David. I'm going to make you a king over Israel. But the second anointing came after Saul's death. And that's whenever David was anointed by the men of Judah to, to be king at Hebron, just over that one tribe. And then after that seven years, there comes his third anointing. And it came after the death of, of Saul's general Abner and then Saul's son Ishbosheth. If you're looking for a name for your next baby, there you go. I'll put that one in the hat, Ishbosheth. And uh, that's whenever David is anointed king over all of Israel. Each anointing that, that David uh, received was, was a type of season. That first anointing started this long season of making and preparation for David. But then that second anointing, when David started to reign over that one tribe of Judah from Hebron, that started a different season. And it, it was still a season of making and preparation. But watch this. It was different because while he was in this season, David had part of a promise. He had partial rulership. But not the whole thing. This is really interesting to me because David was limited by the season he was in. God was he was God was setting things up and, and he was getting things ready for David's next anointing and David's next season. So David found himself in a place where he had to. And I use this term all the time because I'm still trying to figure out how to do it. But he he managed himself. While he was his living in this in between time of a limited kingdom. He managed himself while he's living in this in between season of a partial promise. And that really causes us some problems sometimes. It causes me some problems. Because when we have part of a promise and then we have to wait. When, when the season forces us to be patient. We struggle. Here's something cool though. David was productive. I'm kind of getting to the heart of where I wanted to go today. David was productive even during this time of waiting. David had six sons while he lived in Hebron. And y'all know those Old Testament names. They, they, they had a lot of, uh, there, there was a lot of context and a lot of meaning uh, behind those names. He had these six sons living in Hebron. And one of them was named Amnon, which means faithful. Another one named Absalom, which means father of peace. A third son named Adonijah, Casey, which means worshiper. Here's another good name for your next child, Sheptathiah, 
which means the Lord judges or the Lord defends. Ethereum, which means excellence or excellence of the people. And then watch this one. His sixth son, he had a son named Chaliab. And it means to refrain, restrict, or withhold. So David, he has this, I'm going to call it a productive patience in this season of his life. He had faithfulness. He had peace. He had worship. He relied on God for his judgment and defense, and he had excellence. But David also knew this is a time of restraint. I'm restricted here, and there are some things that are withheld from me right now. But I'm not going to let that stop me from having what I can while I'm here. Just because I don't have access to everything that I've been promised, I'm going to leave that to God in the next season. But while I'm here, I'm going to have everything I can. So he engaged this productive patience. I'm going to have peace. I'm not going to let the fact that I don't have everything keep me from from having faithfulness and being faithful. I'm I'm not going to let that stop me from having worship. I'm not going to let that stop me from having excellence. Yes, Lord, I am in Hebron. And I may not have everything that you've anointed me for. But I'm going to have everything I can while I'm here. I'm going to respond to this season in Hebron. With a productive patience that keeps me close to you. And gets me ready for the next season when it comes. Understand something, folks. There is there is nothing wrong with Hebron. There's nothing wrong with it. Even though it's limited, even though it's a partial promise, there's nothing wrong with it. It's just a season. That's all it is. It's just a season. It's temporary. David was never meant to stay in Hebron. It's not permanent. It's not final. You're not always going to be restricted and withheld and restrained because it's not the end of the journey for you, David. You know, one of the interesting things to me is what God was doing behind the scenes while David was in Hebron. I told you earlier there was this general named Abner who was still fiercely loyal to Saul and um, Ishbosheth, Saul's son, they were still out there and and Abner's running around and he's trying to stir up civil war and he's trying to get people to align with Ishbosheth and and, you know, basically put a, a token king on the throne while Abner can kind of be the the hands that hold the reins behind behind Ishbosheth and, and be the true power. And while David is living in Hebron, God is setting things in motion to move those men out of the way. And because David responded to his season in Hebron with this productive patience, David didn't even have to fight the battle against Abner and Ishbosheth when the time came. The season changed, and David just moved forward, and God moved those, moved those hindrances out of his life. He didn't even have to fight that battle. He just moved right into the promise. So, folks, if, if you're in Hebron right now, If you're in that that place of fellowship and communion and alliance with God, but yet, you know, there are more things that have been promised to me than what I'm walking in right now. If if that's where you are, please just like get this. uh, You can't tattoo anything on your body, just like get a permanent marker and write it somewhere so that you'll see it all the time. That God's way is the right way. And God's time 
It's the right time. Don't try to, don't try to circumvent or second guess or outrun the season. Don't, don't try to get ahead of God's time because you're going to make a mess of it. You're going to pick up unnecessary scars if you do that. Instead, stay close to the Father. Stay, stay in communion with Him. And be productive in your patience as you wait on your season to change. Because I promise you it's going to. The season will change. So let me give you some next steps this morning. And then we'll pray and be done. Recognize that every season, no matter which one you're in, is going to have its uh, it's going to have its own unique freedoms and its own unique restraints. It's going to have open doors and closed doors. Don't beat your head against the closed doors. That's why you've got a headache all the time. Don't do that. Instead of beating your head against closed doors. Try the knob. See if it opens. If it doesn't open, Lord, you're going to keep that door closed for now. That's fine. But I can stand here and beat my head against a door that you want to remain closed. Now, I know I'm still talking figuratively. I'm about to get real practical. But just hang with me for a minute. The greatest way that you can help yourself from getting frustrated with the season is to look for ways to be productive in the season that you are in. Instead of railing and raging against the closed doors and against the limitations of your current season, then instead of doing that, look for ways to make this season work for you. Respond to the season by using it to prepare you for the next one. If you're taking notes today, write down this one. You can't do God's part and he won't do your part. Prepare yourself and wait on God. There's some things that God has to do. And he's not going to do the things that you have to do. So if you're in that season. Whatever season you're in. Then find a way to make it work for you. So here's the practical steps, BT. If you're feeling frustrated, if you're feeling impatient and limited and all that stuff, this, this is what I want you to do this week, just sometime this week. And, and it, it's going to take you a, a little bit of a little bit of gumption. But I have three steps for you. Three things I want you to do. And y'all know me. I'm the consummate note taker. So it's going to involve writing. Some of you are like, Look, I'm out. But here's what I want you to do for those of you brave enough to do it. First thing I want you to do is I want you to name your season. Call it whatever you want. You call it winter, spring, summer, fall. Call it Charlie, Lucy, Linus, Snoopy. Call it orange, blue, green, whatever you want to call it. Just name it. I already did that. I named mine Lucy. And I named my season Lucy for a specific reason because of a specific person. And it's not my wife. It was her. I named it Julia. But no. So my season is named Lucy. And then what I want you to do after you name your season, y'all think I'm crazy, don't you? Describe it. Describe your season. Write down things that characterize your current season. Are you frustrated? What are you frustrated about? Are you confused? Well, what are you confused about? Write down the questions. Are you exhausted? Well, why? 
What's got you so tired? And those are all bad things, but I want you to write down some good things, too, whenever you describe your season. While you're in it, what kind of things do you have peace about right now? What kind of things are settled in your life? In this season, what's bringing you joy? Are there places of passion in this current season? What are some things that you're learning about yourself in this season? What are some things you're learning about God in this season? Describe your season. So you've named it, and now you've described it. And folks, I I tell you all this all the time, but there's something about writing stuff down that changes it. It just makes it different. It takes the fear out of things for me. So you've named your season, you've described it. Then I want you to do something else. I want you to do the same thing that you just did for the next season that you'll be in. I want you to do your best to try to imagine what your next season is going to be like. I want you to name it. I want you to describe it. In your mind, in your spirit, put yourself in that next season. Jason, there is, there is no way that I can possibly know what that season's going to be. Why should I do that? Well, two reasons. First of all, I want you to have a concrete reminder that your current season is just temporary. And that the things that are challenging you and inspiring you about this current season, those things are temporary too. And the second reason why I want you to do this is I want to sow some seeds of faith. I want you to sow some seeds of faith and hope in your own life by describing a positive future. Because especially whenever we're in those darker seasons, we have a hard time envisioning a brighter future. And sometimes whenever we're in a really bright and productive season, we lose sight of the fact that seasons change and darker times can come. So I I want you to, to sow some positive seeds of hope into your life and describe your next season. This is the last thing I want you to do. I want you to write down three things that you can do to be productive in your current season. Three things that you can do to be productive in your current season. Whether it's relationally, financially, spiritually, on the job. Three things that you can do to be productive. Respond to the season. Don't let the season just happen to you. Don't be passive about the season. Get involved, be active, and respond to the season you're in. Next week, Lord willing, I want to talk to you about responding to transition. And that's really what I thought I wanted to do today. And God just kind of came into my brain and said, nope, that's not what we're doing today. Doing something else. So next week, talk about responding to transition. Let's pray. Lord, help us. Just help us. The seasons that we walk in right now, whatever those seasons may be, whatever we name them and however we describe them and whatever our next one's going to be, help us to respond to them in a way that is pleasing to you and that does us good. Lord, keep us close to you. Keep us in proximity to you. 
aligned with you and communing with you so that we don't put unnecessary scars on our bodies from trying to run ahead of you and do things out of season. Bless them all. Bless their minds, bless their bodies, bless their souls.